Welcome to Game Level Learn Season 4, Episode 6. I'm Tracy Wozenegger, and I'm joined, as always, with my dear friend... And co-host, John Cassie. And co-host, yes, John yeah. Cassie. Hi. Yeah. Hey, man, how's it going? It's going, you know, yeah. day 4082 of stay at home. Right, right, yeah, this <laughs> Approximately. is... Um, right, yeah, I lost track of what month it was last month. I think it's... Uh, I think it's Julyber. Right? Yes. Uh, well, maybe. now that the school year's over oh, yeah. for me, like I don't even know what day it is most of the time. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's quite bewildering this experience, right? Yes. Uh, you know, folks, listeners, we're recording this in June of 2020, um, when it's not clear kind of where we are with this COVID. Are we in the first wave? Are we in the have we crested? Sneezing. Is it tight? <laughs> um, I do not have COVID-19. Um, and uh, because sneezing is not a symptom. Uh, and and we're not even a minute and a half in and we've already totally lost the thread, already, which is just what gone. happens on this program. Rail, where, where were the rails? No one knows. There were no rails. Um both Tracy and I are done with our with our experience of teaching, uh, teaching our kids. I found distance learning to be okay. How how did you find it? I hated it. I miss yeah. being with my kids. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I like with chemistry, it's really hard to do labs when you're not together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I found sure. a good simulation that the kids could play with, but it's not. It's I need the kids in the classroom, you know, yeah. doing stuff with glassware and yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. Exploring science. Right, right. It's been an opportunity to try out some some sort of meta game-based learning techniques, but um but still it's it, it you know it was challenging, right? Yeah. 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 Um so uh this episode is not uh going to be about gaming and learning in the COVID-19 environment, but rather following the same format of the rest of season 4, we have a special guest who is joining us today. From at least for the next month, San Diego, California. Welcome, Joe Lastly, incoming assistant professor of leadership and organizational studies at the University of Southern Maine, whose dissertation I read because we're both uh, on the advisory board of a of an outfit called the Game Academy. Awesome group of uh, group of gamers and and teachers. And I read his dissertation and was like, we got to have Joe on. So, Joe Lassley, welcome to Game Level Learn. Hey, welcome. it's great to be here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that introduction. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah, I, I read your dissertation with great interest because I'm writing a chapter for a book that's going to be published by Rutledge next year about gaming and education. And I'm, I'm going to be writing about social-emotional learning and how it's enhanced by role-playing modalities. And I am... You will be cited many times in that chapter, my friend. Oh um, my, that's wow! I'm flattered. That's great. Yeah, it was a dynamite dissertation, uh, and you know, after reading it, I'm like, we gotta have this guy on to talk about kind of role playing and why role playing modalities are so great in, you know, in in classrooms, in teaching and learning, etc. Right? And you know, Tracy has been Tracy. What, what is this? Maybe. Year seven or eight for you as a role player? Probably by now, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, Tracy's a huge fan of Call of Call Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I've I've been game mastering and playing since probably 1979. You know, when I was like 10. Um, Joe, you know, give us a little bit about you. You know, kind of your background. You know, you you must have just finished up because your dissertation is just done, you know, in San Diego, you know, kind of give us your background and, you know, kind of what you teach and all that jazz and what games, you know, you've just recently been playing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> well, I've been a gamer my whole life. And so that's, I mean, I think the most important piece Full of stop, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I've just I've been a gamer my whole life, although I didn't start playing tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons until about five or six years ago. Uh, and I jumped right into to being a game master. Uh, before that, I played uh, 
social deduction games like werewolf and mm-hmm. yep. board games and video games and of all kinds and things like that. Right. Uh, while being, you know, also a professional in higher education, I worked in student affairs, more specifically residential life. And so oh, I was wow. working with students outside the classroom on their own learning, development, leadership, uh, those types of things. Right. And they kind of just went hand in hand for me. And I didn't even realize it that, you know, we were playing a version of werewolf that we created and mm-hmm. not to per not with the aim of learning anything about leadership or developing ourselves as people. Uh, but that's what happened because that's just, I embody both of those things. And when I started my PhD program four years ago here at the university of San Diego, uh, I, that's when I decided I was going to figure out what, um, what I was really up to. (laughs) Really, right? Not separate these two parts of my life that I, you know, being a leadership development facilitator um, and being a gamer and designer, amateur designer. So, um, so that's where the topic of the dissertation came from uh, to investigate gaming environments in tabletop role playing games. Yeah. Um, and so I do research on tabletop role playing games and play all it's always linked in some way to leadership but leadership just like game design is a very interdisciplinary field and so the connections are are similar in that in that sense um and i just finished my phd finished the dissertation um and i'm going to be teaching leadership and organizational studies things like group dynamics organizational theory uh, the learning organization is uh, mm-hmm. one of the classes I'm going to teach. Um, community leadership as well, getting involved in the community and, and uh, social change as a leadership context. So uh, those are the kinds of things I'll be teaching. I also have a consulting company called GameNamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there I do kind of a mix of traditional leadership consulting and organizational consulting and coaching uh, and some game-based methods. Mm-hmm. I design games to be used in workshops mm-hmm. that are uh, that have a leadership aim or some sort of professional development aim. Um, and I also, in addition to just having games and designing games specifically for that, I... Um, kind of use uh, gaming to inform uh, how I would do a more traditional uh, workshop uh, of sorts, um, how it's experiential and interactive and those types of things. Right. Sort of game of like a gamified PD kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. It yeah. kind of spans the spans the whole spectrum there. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, what what Tracy and I talk about all the time is game-based learning and gamified learning are are really different things and and you know you know if you don't if you don't get that start there right you figure that figure that part out part out first you know um have you ever played call of cthulhu joe i have i did i played um just two times as uh and i liked it i just haven't had the time to get back to it yet right was the first uh, tabletop game that you really started with 5e? It was. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's kind of a, a surprise because even, you know, when I was working with students playing Werewolf, they were like, oh, my gosh, you're, you'd are you be such a great game master. Have you ever played Pathfinder? Have you ever played D&D? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I've been adjacent to these games my entire <laughs> life. I've always... Always half of my friend group has played these games, but I just haven't been, you know, it's like the day they wanted to play, I had a soccer game or something would, you know, like just really randomly keep me from getting into it. Uh, And then somehow in 2015, boom, like it happened and uh, there's been no turning back since. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Tracy, your, your really your first game was 5e as well, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a good I it's a good gateway drug. 5e. It's easy to play, I think. It's easy to pick up. 
Well, it's um, super recognizable, too. It's super recognizable. You can find it everywhere. You know, libraries, yeah. comic shops, game shops. Right. Um, it's not my favorite. You know, now that I've played some other things, obviously, I like horror the most. Um, right. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more, the more the scares, the better. Correct. You know, this is why you like uh, the, um, what is it, Hufflepuff? You know, where's Strahd? Where's that guy? Curse of Strahd. Ravenloft. That's D&D, yeah. Ravenloft. What yeah. did I say, Hufflepuff? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Those two things are similar. Uh, Strahd, is, Strahd is 100% not a Hufflepuff. <laughs> no, no. But, but what house is he? <laughs> Slytherin, for sure. He's ambitious. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's hope that that's not a sign that I'm that I'm we're gonna go really off the rails, you know, even more normal on the program. Right? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, I started on um, AD and D, you know, first edition essentially, right? Uh, and uh, by the time my friends and I were sort of done with that, I had moved on to, you know, to Traveler and to other games, and um, and didn't get back into Dungeons and Dragons itself until Five E. As a game master, I played 4E uh, a, a bit, but I found it a little weird. Um, but I've been GMing a fair amount in 5E, and uh, I think that it's a, a it's a pretty accessible system, particularly if you if you know anything about how to manage a role playing game. Then 5E is like, okay, yeah, got it, right? Um, yeah, it's so, pretty prototypical. I yeah, think it, exactly. You know, it really hits on most of the elements and. You know, in the role-playing game community, people are going to debate for days about different styles and <clears throat> narrative versus mechanics and all of these things. But 5e kind of touches on most of those things. Um, and, I mean, yes, it was the original, but 4th edition wasn't super popular. So, at right. least in the mainstream. And now 5e all of a sudden is hitting the mainstream because of a number of other contextual factors that are going on. But it has a little bit of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Joe, what do you what do you think makes Five E so appealing? You know, I mean, you you wrote about it extensively in your dissertation, and you know, I'm I'm curious, you know, for the audience's you know uh, uh, purposes, you know, what why why would you start there, or why why should you really consider it if you're thinking about trying to understand what role playing is, because you might want to apply it in your own work. Well, I, I think it actually, what made it appealing initially um, wasn't just the game itself, but the like historical moment around the game itself. Mm-hmm. So you had shows like Critical Role and Misclicks and Dice Camera Action that were streaming people playing this game. And mm-hmm. when they started, they didn't think it was going to last. Right. And then they, you know, last year raised... 11 million dollars on kickstarter for an animated series based on their home campaign that they stream on the internet you know so it's um there's that piece of tabletop games in general becoming more popular twitch having an impact on that virtual communication but yet still being able to feel a sense of connection because that happens in role-playing games um, and then they have this corporate juggernaut for marketing and cross um, cross marketing, those kinds of things. Like, you know, they have uh, Magic the Gathering. It's the same parent company. And right. so they've got, they can do events. They can cross lore and, you know, tie people in from different demographics and things. But I actually think some one of the things that I like about 5e in terms of why it is accessible to people who weren't traditionally drawn to Dungeons and Dragons is that it it has a variable scaffolding system. To get into it, you don't have to... There's so many different ways to play it, right? To get into it, you have to... If you're a mechanical person and you want to min-max your character and cast the best fireball and strategy on the map with the grid and everything, you can do that. If you're a person who doesn't care about that and just wants to play improv games with your friends, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. And it, um, and then I've seen groups, they 
start out, I have no idea what this is. Let's just try a, a quick, you know, role play session with a, an easy fight, right? And then they start to get into more aspects and they're like, well, this month I really leaned into miniatures and combat. And this month I really leaned into the, uh, like a, myster- a mystery kind of narrative. And the other mm-hmm. month I leaned into the classic sword and sorcery, but I subverted some stereotypes and how I role played my character. And that made me feel edgy and cool, you know? So right. they, <laughs> people will talk about different styles and motivations for gaming and you can oscillate. You don't have to stay on one and still be playing D&D. So it appeals yeah. to all these different motivations for playing a game, but it also allows you to not be stuck in a box when you're playing it, right? Like, if you don't like domination games, you will never like playing Risk. Right. Right? Right. But if you decide one day that you want a domination game, you can do D&D, and you can just make it more like that. And if you decide the next month you want it to be more narratively focused with a moral of a story at the end, then you can work that in. And so it really allows you levels of engagement and variability in types of play that's super customizable and somehow at the same time isn't overwhelming and like everything's up to you. Like there, there is a scaffold if you're just getting into it. Here's something to start with. And then you can take the rails off as you go. Yeah, it's 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 quite useful because of all of the things that you've said for a person who has less experience than say we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, a game called Numenera, but it's a little it's a little more intermediate to advanced, right? It really expects you to work in a certain kind of way. Call of Cthulhu, by virtue of the Cthulhu universe being so uh, mur- murderous, sure, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's got a different kind of feel to it than than you know D and D, which is really you know an open sandbox, right? Well, it could be right, and that's yeah, the could be. yeah, yeah, and that's the point. That's the part that I think makes it more ubiquitous is that. It could be classic sword and sorcery table or tabletop RPG, right? It could be exactly that. Or it could be very forgiving and very freelance uh, and very open. And so <clears throat> yeah, I think I think that is part of and I I think that the designers of D D have talked about that when they made fifth edition. They thought about how can we not try and simulate a video game on a piece of paper and mm-hmm. create something that's accessible mm-hmm. to people in different ways. Um, now, there's still a learning curve, right? Mm-hmm. Like even, you know, and, and I found this because I had done D&D with groups who would never play D&D under any other circumstances other than they were testing this out for some leadership purpose uh, or for some research purpose. And they're like, you know, I never would have played this if it, you know, you hadn't gotten this together with this class or something like that. Right. Um, and the learning curve is there, right? Like they don't, it's the, the lingo doesn't, isn't there to support, okay, roll a D20 or you're a tank or you're a healer. They don't know what that means. Right. right. You know, like right. they don't have any of that. And, and so there's still a learning curve, right? And that really limits uh, what you can do in that session, but you can, you're still playing D and D right. And then you can exactly. build from there. So there's still a learning curve. Um, but it, as far as role playing games go, I think it's, it's that accessible and it has enough notoriety now that people have heard of it. It's, you know, so it's been on the internet for a while. <laughs> right, and, yeah, right, right. Right. So when I say, oh, let's use, I use games like Dungeons and Dragons to do team building for your leadership team at your organization, uh, they've heard of Dungeons and Dragons. It's right. not, I use something you've never heard of to, right. you know, to play this. Right. Like, so when, when you, when you, applied to that PhD program and you got in and you started thinking about the work. Did you go in thinking I'm going to do a game? I'm going to do it this way. Or did you come to that in the, in the work? 
Well, it was, I think it was implicit. So, but it was October, I remember specifically, because I wrote an essay about werewolves as a leadership development activity. Okay. In and that was in October of my first semester. So mm-hmm. it's just like a month and a half in, October okay. 15th. And so six weeks in, I wrote, was when the essay was due. Um, so a month in, I was like, oh, no, this is, uh, there's actually something here. And I think I could go for this. And then when I presented that paper and my classmates who have no gaming context at all, right. were like, this is actually interesting. I was like, oh, I'll, leadership people think this is interesting mm-hmm. all right now like now i'll believe in myself because someone else said you're not actually just making this up on your own kind of thing we don't understand it but we know that you understand it was kind of the the sentiment there and that's when i got really serious about it was when i tried it out and uh, there was interest any interest at all <laughs> <laughs> right yeah th- this has certainly been been you know, my experience and, you know, Tracy's to some extent as well, like, right, you have, you have some interest, any interest, right? Yes. Any interest. Yeah. Right. And you make this amazing thing, right? And then you're like, this is good, right? I think this is good. But then you're not sure. And you show a couple people. And then when when one person's like, this is great. Yes, this is it. I've done it. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm actually on the right path of doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. yeah it this is life as a creative, right? Like, yeah, there's two different values of art. One is I appreciate this and this is my creation and that's all that matters. And that's yeah. true and valid right. and useful. And there's I created this piece of art and other people appreciate it. So it has value, right? Like there's a that's also a valid use of, you know, I think I was listening to a radio show and there was a, um, I think it was Alice Cooper who was talking about selling out as a rock musician. And he's okay. like, he was like, listen, you can create all the music you want, but if nobody likes listening to it, it's still great. It's your music. That's fine. Whatever. But if you want to make music that people listen to, you have to make me music that people want to listen to. Right. So there's like, this <laughs> right. Two- <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, it when when my book came out and I saw that it was the number one book on Amazon in like alternative education methods, how much narrower could you possibly be? <laughs> right. But I was like, oh, my God. Right. Screenshot. Right. You know, and uh, and, and I'm like, oh, I, I hope that I get a whole bunch of reviews five star or not you know i hope they're five stars but boy i hope people will read it you know and you know i've, I've said over and over again you know uh, if someone my email address is in the book if you write to me i'll write you back and i'll help you solve your problem right every time i write back they're like i had no idea i, I didn't think you'd write back well then why'd you write me in the first place <laughs> right i don't get it right it's such a small we're in such a, a niche area Yes. Right. It's oh, all community yeah. of us. Yeah. Right. That 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 there is there is no one in this in this area of teaching and learning interest who is one degree removed from the three of us. We know everyone. Right. If I don't know them, you do, Joe. And if Tracy doesn't know them, I know them. Right. We know everyone. Right. And right. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, and it's it's sort of astounding how small the, I mean, th- think about the niche that you now have, right? You're you're a leadership and organization guy, and a game and a game studies guy. Well, come on, right? You think about all the places where you're going to be able to present and the work you're going to be able to do and the consulting firm that you're going to be able to build and, you know, and the ways you're going to be able to deploy what you've learned in your classrooms. I mean, it's ridiculous how awesome that is. Yeah, and it kind of just sprung up too. You know, this the field of applied RPGs is what we're currently calling it. I love that. Is um is super brand new. I think we came up with that name like a year or two ago. But you know, that came out of um me connecting with some of the folks who are using role playing games in therapy. 
mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I'm doing research about this. And this was when I was very first starting out, like when I was a first uh, year in my PhD program. And it was like, I reached out to Megan Connell on Twitter. And that was before she had her uh, like YouTube channel. Like she, all those videos that she made, she made after when I reached out to her on Twitter because we both commented on some the same tweet. And I was like, <laughs> <clears throat> right. And she had like a hundred followers and I had like 50 followers, you know, right. and now I probably have like 54 followers only, but she has like a thousand followers or something now because she's been right. much more active online and she's interviewed all the people at D and D, you know, at cons and things for her show and all this stuff. And, you know, but at first it was just a Google hangout because we tweeted at each other and that was the beginning of this field. Like we started finding people on the internet because there were a lot of people using role-playing games in practical settings that, but there was no organization, no community, no communication, no resources available. And now there's a whole geek therapy network for these therapists who do what they call geek therapy. And it's not just role-playing games, but that's my connection to it. Yeah. Right? So it's, yeah. but it's, yeah, like if I don't know them, I know somebody who knows them. And I, and then I have the, the, the crossover with game studies. I know somebody who's a scholar who I've talked to about some of our research. And then they contact me to write a chapter in a book with the mm-hmm. people that I know who are geek therapists. But we didn't know we both knew those same people. And now we're all right. Now we wrote a book together, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. You know, I, I presented at ASCD maybe 15 months ago. Uh, the, the guy who was our first guest in season four, Luke Johnson, came up to me after that presentation. We walked through the Chicago Convention Center, and by the time we were done, we had agreed that we were going to work on a... Um, on uh, a way to do boiled down to its essence Dungeons and Dragons as a fully immersive in-class learning and professional de- and professional development and uh, lesson design experience so that you could do any lesson using uh, you know kind of character avatars and you know game modalities and what have you um, and that's what's so cool about this 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 place because we're building it together right yeah it's not already established right right yeah. it's we um one well, it's kind of like the resurgence of 5e which you asked about earlier of like twitch wasn't a thing right when D was created right and then D gets popular just as twitch was already getting popular mm-hmm. and someone's like well, we've never tried merging Twitch with tabletop role-playing games, and then Critical Role takes off. You know, so it's it's just new things that were never possible before. Because yeah. even if you recorded yourself and put it on, that's not live streaming it. Right. You know, and then there's this parasocial element of having a a personal experience watching these people role play because I'm also participating in that shared imagination. Right. Right. Like kind of vicariously. So, um, which is part of the power of role playing games, particularly for leadership development and human development. Right. Is this use of imagination and that, um, that vicarious experiential element of it. Yeah. You're up to 186 followers on Twitter. Oh, good. Uh, so, so. <laughs> I was just double checking. Oh yeah, that's super impressive. <laughs> yeah. I'm at uh, I'm at 678. So woo! hey, yeah, congrats. Hey. Yeah, cheers. Uh, me. One of these days, I'll uh, I'll try and and build my Twitter following. But that's another thing that you know, there's this something you know when you're in a PhD program, and I was working full time at the same time I was in the PhD program, there's, and then doing some extra research on the side because I found it interesting. It's like. I want to do all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> Just haven't exactly. gotten around to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Every minute spent developing one's Twitter following feels to me like a minute that would have been better spent playing almost any other game. <laughs> right. Yeah. But right now, you know, it's, you've yeah. got the right 180 
and you're following the right 180, then then it works, right? Right. Yeah. Right now it's excellent for networking is, you know, I still, I still am in contact with the folks at Geeks Like Us. And, uh, you know, that's how, part of how this book chapter I wrote, in, um, it's integrating geek therapy into practice, yeah. clinician's guide to geek therapy. I, I messed up the title, but it's something like that. And that's, it's pre, it's a pre-order now, but like, that's how that all came to be was because of this network of people on the internet uh, that really runs through Twitter and now Discord a little bit. So, right. so you've you've done some of these kinds of you've designed some games for PD and you've you know you've given some thought to that and you've tried it out in different kinds of settings and contexts. Sounds like right? Yeah, yeah. And I have many sure. more ideas than I've actually done, but yeah, I've I've yeah. I've started a, a few of those things, especially and with Game Dynamic too. I've done a few things through there. Um, so it's kind what, of a mix of research and then things that I've done. What um, what method or approach <clears throat> do you think has really resonated most with the the students or or you know uh, folks that you've been working with? What's really worked? Hmm. So that kind of depends. Um, okay. On the on the role playing game side and the research about role playing game side, yep. I think what seems to work is when facilitation and group dynamics are built into the gameplay. Okay. Um, and that was one of the huge findings, actually, in the dissertation, was mm-hmm. that the way that the dungeon master ran the game and the way that the dungeon master ran the group and then the way that they existed as people in a group kind of paying attention to things that uh, a facilitator would pay attention to, like, is everyone comfortable right now? Does someone have something that hasn't been shared? Or, you know, am I making space for everyone to have a good time or to share their input? Am I asking the right kinds of open-ended questions? These kinds of things really worked. Um, and that that worked, whether it was my study about critical role and people who had transformational experiences just watching critical role, um, it was that human psychological element that made that work. And then in the dissertation, um, the way that the group facilitated its own dynamic, they did some of that very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to have this conversation right now, and this is what we need to talk about expectations-wise. Um, but some of it they did implicitly, you know, by creating and improving together. They also um, kind of did some team development stuff without realizing it so yeah so I, I that that group and human psychological element is what really works and that's what a lot of people talk about at least on the internet there's not enough research to say generalizably like a core set of skills or something or an approach that's better or not but when they talk about the great DMs or, you know, bad DMs, it's usually about these kinds of things. For sure. I mean, surely, Tracy, you've had you've had those experiences where I mean, look, we Tracy and I being K-12 educators. Right. Joe, everything that you're talking about is what we do every day. Right. I, I was like, you're describing a teacher. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. You just um, describe everything I hope I do. As a good teacher, every single day. <laughs> right, and you know, Tracy and I both know colleagues or or teachers we've had who miss on one or more of those uh, uh, perspectives. Right. It. I mean, that's what causes a classroom to really fall apart or break down. Right. And you know, the idea that a game master and an educator are they're 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 almost overlapping is at the whole heart of the sort of learners and labyrinths project that luke and i are working on right it's like teachers you're not so far away from being able to do this and once you put a game layer on top of this of whatever else you're trying to do you ought to be able to build significantly more engagement 
right? Which for, you know, for us, you know, in K-12, we're always concerned that we don't want to lose people, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, that, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me in any way. The group dynamic stuff, Joe, in the dissertation, that was to me the most, the most interesting takeaway, right? Um, Tracy and I have used, uh, cooperative board games like Letters from Whitechapel to teach communication and collaboration and, or, or 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 the failure thereof. Yeah, Yeah, right, right, (laughs) right. Um, as, um. As I've said, you know, on, on many occasions, uh, a board game like Letters from Whitechapel, if the team that has to collaborate to find the Jack the Ripper character don't have their communication ducks in a row or their collaborative ducks in a row, they're hopeless. There's no way they're going to catch him, right? Um, and we always do it in like a fishbowl. you got five students inside playing and the rest of the class observing what is or isn't going on with the group dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I teach entrepreneurship at my present school. I play it every year. And the students who've already played it once, because I sometimes have students repeat, right? They're <laughs> like, they're like, they, they just stand back and watch, right? They're like, oh my, I totally see where that group went totally wrong. And I said, look, almost every startup entrepreneurial venture that succeeds has to overcome this problem of insufficiently skilled communication, weirdly misaligned collaboration, right? The ones that make it fix it and the ones that don't, don't. It's there. It's not in the money. It's in the team building, mm-hmm. right? Well, the gamers call that the meta, right? Right, so right. Because to get good at the game, you have to understand the meta. Whether that's nice. you're playing League of Legends and you have to know, okay, we need objectives. We have to scale our, our carries to the end of the game. And we have to, you know, defeat the towers in this order, rotate around the map, right? There's the meta uh, right in there. But there's also the meta in Monopoly or Risk, right? right? In Risk, it's the first phase is getting a continent. And cards. Right. The second phase is wiping out another player, right? And the third right. phase is steamrolling because you waited just long enough to turn in that last set of cards, right? Like who can hold out the longest and then steamroll in one turn? Right. And you know, so there's phases. But if you and if you understand that, you're better at the game, right? And right. the game incentivizes that. So that's right. the meta. And that's the same. I was doing a similar thing actually this morning. In a non-gaming context, I was doing a, a, a group consultation uh, with an organization, a client of mine, and they are a team that mm-hmm. does uh, training and education for their organization. And they were, I, I was consulting to them on their own process of how they deal with that. <laughs> um, right. That's, that's meta, meta, Joe. Right, right. <laughs> And so, you know, they were like, you know, we want to have a model. We don't have a model. What model should we use? Teach us uh, action learning. How do we do action learning? And how do we create a model? And and I helped them. And that's what coaching is. That's what leadership coaching is and consulting anyways, helping people kind of realize their own process. Um, and then once they can articulate that, they can kind of gain some mastery in, in doing that even further and at deeper levels. Um, and so... Yeah, that's the that's the meta, and that's that's actually the the real value and strategy between uh, or behind the game based leadership workshops that I do. When I do game design for leadership development, um, and I have designed a number of games for workshops that are traditional just leadership workshops, you know, like. Right. On Friday, everybody's got to come to this three-hour workshop so that you can be better at conflict resolution kind of things. Right. And um, the game is its own, like, mid-level layer between the group dynamic as a meta and what's happening in the room, right? And so we're in this activity or we're playing this game, and I learn this game but the game was designed to be the meta of conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And so by learning the meta of this game, 
I now understand the dynamics of different styles of conflict because the game simulated and represents that system. Because games are systems. Right? Right. They're systems of rules and interactions. And so I that's a service that I do both for organizations that do workshops. I help them design games. And then I also do workshops where I have used games that I have designed for specific purposes. And so then the debriefing is very accessible because you can get on the meta about the game we played and talk about how, oh, that was avoiding and that was competing and mm. that, you know, that, you know, the, that was accommodating the different conflict styles without realizing that you're talking about your actual conflict style here too, because particularly in a, in a corporate environment, people aren't role-playing something super different from themselves. They think they're just playing this game, but they're really, that's them playing yeah. this game. That's right? right. That's right. You know, and so the meta actually is the key. Using the game as a meta is the key to linking the leadership development to an activity that's actually fun and engaging in a classroom or workshop environment. Right. Uh, Tracy, I, the, you know, all this kind of stuff just makes me think advisory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm thinking about... I'm even thinking about some of our in-service days and faculty days and trying to watch my colleagues do this. <laughs> right. I mean, for, for, many, it would, for many, it would be really hard, wouldn't it? I think so, yeah. Right. But, I think so, yeah. But I, I think that what Joe's talking about in terms of developing developing leadership, right, think about the the opening of school leadership meetings with kids, right? Right, for sure. Think about the the ways in which you might use these kinds of strategies with a team that was a little more willing right. to explore the ways in which they themselves work together, right? Right. And to put it all within the context of the school and the school's culture, because that has an effect on the meta, I mean, so much the better, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, what what might work in one really good, well-resourced independent school might not work in a totally different, really good, well-resourced independent school, let alone a, a, a really well-resourced but actually very poor independent school, right? Or indeed any other kind of organization, right, Joe? Right. Well, and the um, so un the the important piece there is understanding your own context and your own tendencies. Right. right? And so that make kind of makes me think of a game I developed um, that talks about defense mechanisms. Oh. Right. And Tell so me more. Tell me yeah. More. So you know, psychological defense mechanisms are these things that we don't even realize we're doing. 99% of the time to where our mind just kind of naturally protects us from things that are either threatening or uncomfortable or things like that. You know, like being in denial is a very mm -hmm. accessible example, right? Like, well, I'm just going to pretend that's not happening, right? Um, is a, is kind of the psychological defense. Uh, and those types of things by nature are really hard to access, like anyone's defensiveness is not something that someone wants to willingly experience. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right. And 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 or admit to yourself, especially because they're usually blind spots, right? Like right. I don't realize that I'm in denial about this. And to to actually have to realize that or or projection where I assign negative qualities to somebody else, but I really probably have some of those qualities myself, right? So so you know, these kinds of things. Um, but in a game, uh, you have just enough identification with, I had this experience of playing this game and a, just enough displacement at the same time. Well, that's just, that was in the game. That wasn't real, even though it actually was real. Right. And so right. there's an, uh, um, the defense mechanism game is kind of unique because, all the games do this to some extent, but the defense mechanism game does it the most, where it provides access to these really important um, and invisible psychological defense. 
well, we're just playing with them. Right. 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 So. Extraordinary. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, right? You're, you're moving to Maine in what, a, a, a month? Oop, did we lose him? I think so. I lost my audio. Did we lose you? Oh, no. It's it's fine. I can edit it. We'll let him come back. I think that defense mechanism, I know that we're off the record now, would be really great for equity. And You're it, oh, back. Okay. I'll stop. Yes. Tracy, go. <laughs> I was going to say that the defense mechanism game would be really good for equity and inclusion work. For yes. sure. I mean, it sounds like something that most of white America needs right now. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, cause it, it's not that different than implicit bias and it, the value of talking of, of learning more about your own defense mechanisms is that if you can just start to, accept the discomfort that comes with talking about that then all of a sudden it opens up a much more authentic dialogue for anything else right 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 it 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 makes something else possible hopefully right and and from a leadership development perspective that in itself is kind of the uh the, a, a very rich form of personal leadership development, right? Which is pretty amazing. Uh, I've seen I've seen people play this game, and it's a facilitated game. It's not a game that you just like play off the box with your friends. Like I I do it as a coach and coach you through the game. Sure, kind of sure, thing. sure. Um, but that's where I can say, oh, um, you just did the thing on the card that you're trying to play right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and kind of point that and then they have this experience of that was my unconscious defense. Right. And I now am aware, even if just for that fleeting moment, of how that came out. Right. Extraordinary. Yeah. And that's and that's human development, right? Becoming aware of the unknown. Right. Right. So I was asking, I know you're moving to Maine in a month. Yes. Right. So you probably have your mind set on that massive transition, right? And you're uh, starting a brand I new I might be in denial about that. You might also be in denial. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, if you were in denial, you've come yeah, to the right it's, show. It's minus five points. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Tracy and I do best. <laughs> right. No, I'm kidding. Um, so... You know, obviously, you're going to have a, a you know a teaching load and assistant professor. You got to get that dissertation whipped into a book and all this kind of jazz, right? So, what do you think the first thing you're going to try on your new kids in Maine is going to be? That's game based or gamified and leadership and what's that going to look like? Oh boy! Well, one of the classes I'm going to be teaching is org theory. Okay. And I'm going to use a methodology that's uh, known in the leadership education world as uh, class as organization. Okay. And so for the first part of class for the first half of the semester only will be your traditional, here's some theories, like what are your, maybe some activities to learn about these different theories about organizations and things like that. But starting on the first day of class, the second half of class up until the halfway point, and then the whole class for the rest of the semester is going to be this class operating as its own organization. Nice. Nice. And so there's an element of, it's kind of like role-playing. Sure. Except that it's not, you're not necessarily, you're not playing a separate character, but you're learning about the role that you take in an organization. Yep. And you have a lot of flexibility about how you're going to take up that role as a student in this class that it, and as a member of this organization that that is this class. Right. Uh, and so there is going to be an element of how I run games of D&D &D that plays into 
how I teach that class. Um, and so it's not, it's not necessarily a specific activity. I'll probably use some of the games that I use in workshops for specific topics. Yep. Yep. Um, but I'm very excited kind of about that classes organization um, setup where they get to create. It's a sandbox role play. Right. right. Um, and there's going to be a few stipulations, you know, like there is a, an outcome that they have or a type of outcome, at least, that they have to reach by the end of the semester. They can't just decide our organization is a meditation zone and just sleep every day. Like there's going to be some sort of actual organizational outcome that they have right. to achieve, some right. project that they have to do, um, that they get to really design and execute um, as a, a laboratory for their own um, analysis of themselves as an organization. Um, and doing a project for an organization. So I look Very forward cool. to hearing how it comes uh, comes to pass, right? Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really sure. That's, that's one of those things that, that I like about that kind of leadership education that I also like about D&D is I have a plan and I expect that yeah. that will be different yeah. from how it actually <laughs> happens. Yeah, yeah. Joe, the first rule of dungeon master, game mastering, planning is you're welcome to plan all you'd like, right? No encounter survives first contact with players. No structure survives first contact with students. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, uh, good grief. Even I'm playing this this group. I'm, I'm running them through this old expedition of the barrier peaks a classic yeah classic, classic first eight first edition ad and old school dungeon modded to fifth e okay this is a pre-written module okay i haven't had to do anything other than run it and it's been like i after four hours of running it i'm exhausted yeah. because i have to constantly <laughs> tinker with what my excellent 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 players are doing Right. And when it's my own stuff, give me a break. Right. Why did I even bother planning any of this? Right? Why did so, I read that entire chapter of Curse of Strahd? Doesn't right. matter anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can't wait, Joe, to have you back on after your first term. Yeah. And yeah. So we can talk about the highs, the lows, everything yeah. in between. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll be your, uh, we, we'll be one of your uh, sort of professional, uh, uh, you know, bounce off groups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, you see, you see, you get it from this perspective, right? And this is right. the, the nature of being interdisciplinary is, you know, I talk to uh, gamers and we're all like, oh yeah, we understand D&D &D and how, what it's like to be a game master and what it's like to design things. And, right. and then I talk with leadership people and they're like, oh yes, I understand adaptive challenges and right. system dynamics <laughs> and right. these types of things. But, you know, to, so I need to, kind of uh, find a little piece in each in each box. For sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so we always end uh, with uh, kind of what are a couple of games you're playing now and what are some games that you think, hey, you're a listener and this sort of jazzed you. Other than maybe D&D, &D, right, because we talked about that a lot today, obviously. What are some other games that you think folks ought to have a look at? So what are you playing and what should folks look at? Well, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm playing some video games. Uh, like I like sim games, so Civilization Six and League of can't, Legends. Can't, can't do it. I've no. been resisting Civil, Civilization Five and City Skylines for like the last week. Yeah, it's because you know, I know if I start, it's gonna it's gonna consume. See, Dang. I did that right when I finished my weeks. dissertation, and I yes. said, goodbye, world, I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, and it right. was perfect. It right, was right. so perfect, because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> it was also a quarantine, so literally, yeah, like, there's no excuse right. to not just do this thing. Right. Um, we are the same person. Good you know, uh, <laughs> and I played some uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire recently, too, so that's good. Um, uh so, yeah, those kinds of games. I'm trying to learn Weave, which is a really cool uh, storytelling game 
Uh, I'm still getting into it though, so that's, I don't know that's, this game, but that's that sounds like my jam. Oh, it's it, it seems so cool um, from what I know about it. There's a little bit of like game mastering involved, but it's 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 marketed as this like wait you could just do zero prep and start playing it. I don't know if that's feasible if you don't have never played it before, but I'm still learning about it. So, oh, this uh, looks super interesting. Yeah, so uh, I found it to be really cool with my little, you know, dipping my toes in the water a little bit. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, what would I recommend people play? The first recommendation I have is play whatever you want. <laughs> like, if you think it sounds fun, I don't care play. if it's yeah. 10 years old. I don't care if someone else didn't think it was cool or if your friends like arena games and you like sim games, right? Like, play whatever seems fun. And that doesn't have to be, you know, just because you're a sim game person doesn't mean you only play sim games, right? Like, just play whatever's fun to you. Right. Uh, and whatever you want to to learn how to play, just play it. That's the first recommendation. And the second one is any tabletop role-playing game, d and is, you know, probably the most accessible in terms of people to talk to about it. Um, be, and the reason I say that kind of combines everything we've been talking about is that when you play D&D, you are both a player and a designer mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's the leadership value of it. And that and that's also kind of allows you to learn all of these different facets and to try different things, whether both as a player and as a designer. So those would be my recommendations and, and the things that I'm playing. Yeah. Brilliant. Um Joe, this has been extraordinary. I'm so glad that you said yes. <laughs> oh, I've had a ton of fun. I'm glad you found it interesting. <laughs> totally. Um, I, I, I wish that that uh, that we'd crossed paths before COVID and before you were leaving for the East Coast. But uh, welcome, sort of. I guess I'm one of my. I'm, I'm not the East Coast. I guess. Sadly, wishful not. thinking. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're Midwest adjacent in Pittsburgh. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Dear. You know I okay. love you, but you're not in the East. <laughs> Um, uh, some, uh, some friends and I, uh, Joe, before this all got going, uh, were thinking about finding a city somewhere to Airbnb a house and spend a week together playing games and what have you. And the city we had settled on was Portland, Maine. Okay. Oh, wow. So now, of course we're not doing it now. Right. But when <laughs> we do it again and we go to Portland, we'll have you down to the house We'll play some games. You'll love you'll love these guys. Oh, that sounds and, like a blast. Yeah, we'll have a hell of a time. Um, so, folks, uh, you know where to find us, Facebook, GameLevelLearn.com. Uh, Joe, you're going to provide your contact information so we can put in the show notes. If yeah. If folks want to get in touch with you, how yeah, would they can... do it? Do you have an email address? or do Yeah, you have, I have, a, I have an email address? and a website. And so my Twitter handle is thejoeshow13. Uh, my gmail's jlastly13 at gmail.com and my website's gamenamic.org. Brilliant. Great. And we'll put Trace- all that in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah. We'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, Tracy, how would f- people get in touch with you? With my email, which will be in the show notes because I'm sorry, it's tlwazenegger <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> right. right. Uh, so that'll be in the show notes. Game Level Learn, Facebook, Discord. Yep. And I'm at johncassie at gmail.com as always. And thank you for listening to Game Live and Learn. And Joe, good luck with the move. And we look forward to having you on the program again soon. Okay? Sounds great. Play all the games. Play all the games. Have fun. Bye. (laughs) In fairness, I have been, I have guested on much, much more poorly organized shows than this one. So, okay, Tracy, you ready? Yes. Okay, uh, I'm going to make a note. Oh, God, no. Cat, no. <laughs> yes, cat. No, cat. They sensed that it was about time. <laughs> cat is, ugh. He's a menace. <laughs> just win to do it, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> devil. Um, this whole thing is going into the, uh, is going to go into the blooper reel. Okay. <clears throat> Slight beverage. <laughs> Okay.